One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. It's November 2001, and Rosa's back in England. She's holding a piece of paper with an address on it in South London. It's been given to her by a private detective, and it could be the clue that will finally lead her to Jim. They said, you need to go there, and I said, well, you know, what am I going to learn? They said, well, go... There's a lot riding on this. Rosa's been looking for Jim for over a year. Her boyfriend from Reclaim the Streets, who she thought was in South Africa. The stress has taken its toll, She's recovering from shingles and weighs just seven stone. And she's run out of money. She's completely broke. I was sleeping on strangers' floors. I was terrified giving my name. And she's frightened of what she's got involved in. She feels really isolated. I was too scared to contact anyone I knew. I thought everybody was being watched. I had no idea anymore what the game plan was. Now, Jim's been sending Rosa cryptic emails saying he loves her, but it's dangerous. He's in some sort of trouble and he's on the run. It could be a drug gang, the police, or MI5. All she knows is that some big power is after him. You go from East Dulwich, you head up as if you want to cross the river. So she sets off in the direction of Camberwell, not knowing what she'll find. But as you go a little way down, there's a pub on the left and opposite are some warehouses. She recognises the area. She came here with Jim once. He said he worked nearby. It's quite an industrial street, with a railway bridge over the road and arches underneath. And there's a bus garage that's been closed for a couple of years. The only thing with any life is a pub on the corner, so that's where she heads. If you sit in the pub and look out the window, it's got sort of like old wood window frames and sort of like in a slightly Victorian-esque fashion. She buys a drink, opens a notebook and sits at a high table with a good view. And you can look out directly across the road at the, this little... Entrance. And what she sees over the road makes her heart race. It's the building the address leads to and it's an ordinary-looking warehouse. With a camera pointing at it and a window to the side. No bling, very discreetly but very securely grilled. And she's convinced she's found the answer. At that point, I knew it was the state. There was no two ways about it, it was the state. She stays and watches the door all day. She has one drink after another. It's pretty quiet. She doesn't see many people. But then again, she thinks it is a Saturday. She notes down the number plates of cars that pull up, just in case. And as evening closes in, 
she ends up telling the barman her whole story. And he warns her. You want to be careful, like the anti-terrorist squad drinking here, and you don't know what you're getting yourself into, what can happen to you. You, you don't know what you're messing with. But she's about to find out exactly what she's messing with in just two days' time. I'm Cara McGugan, and this is Bed of Lies, episode four, Uncovered. There comes a point in most stories of deception when reality starts to catch up, lies unravel, and the truth comes slowly into relief. We're approaching that time. If it already feels like something out of a spy movie, buckle up. And remember, everything you're going to hear really happened to these women. In the last episode, Lisa found a crucial piece of evidence, a marriage certificate, and it says, Mark's a police officer. And that's when she realises why their protests keep coming unstuck. The reason over a hundred of their friends have been arrested over the Ratcliffe-on-Saw power station plan. The cause of all that? The mole in the group? Is Mark. Alison hasn't quite reached that point yet, but she's not far behind. The funny thing is, the truth was always hiding in plain sight. As an organisation, we were, you know, essentially paranoid from the outset. That organisation is the Colin Roach Centre, and they monitor police corruption. And more than once, when Alison's living with Mark, the one from Birkenhead, she's even come close to guessing what's going on. I remember him standing sort of by the door going off to work and me saying, you've just sort of fallen out of the sky. You're not a cop, are you? You're not going off to Hendon every day reporting back. And he used to have a really sort of cheeky smile and laugh and say, yeah, no, of course I am. I'll be there in about an hour. And we laughed it off. Now he's gone, she finds herself replaying that joke in a very different light. And she meets up with a fellow activist to discuss her latest theory. Could Mark be a spy? When I came out of that meeting, I suddenly thought, let's just cross-check that he's not a spook. It was like a kuchukuchum moment, and I thought, that is what it is. That is what it is. I don't care what anybody says. And I then tried to prove that that's what it was. Had you heard about other undercovers at this point? Was that quite a common...? Not at all, no. The idea that there were undercover cops was not... was, was totally believable and expected. But not somebody you've been in a relationship with five years. Hello? Did you get my message? Can we see you? I can see you. I know that. Can you turn on your video? Alison's mum joins our call to tell us what was going through her head at the time. I got on quite well with him. After such a long time together, the family had got to know Mark pretty well. They were due to come over for Christmas lunch. So it's a surprise when Alison shares her theory. And to be honest, quite a few of her family and friends think she's going completely mad. All our, my immediate family, including my husband, didn't believe her. And her brother and her stepbrother, they all thought, you know, that he left her for whatever reason. People, you know, my husband left me for no good reason. It happens all the time. It seemed so extraordinary that, you know, in our circle, like really middle-class, northwest London, suburban Jewish people, that such a thing could be happening. 
I could understand that people thought it was like beyond the realms of possibility. And when he left, every, my brother, for, you know, and other people, but I particularly remember my brother, who won't thank me for saying this, but was, you know, was like, well, what are you talking about spying on your little tin pot organisation in Hackney? What are you talking about? You're not, you know, you're not the Zapatistas, are you? My son in particular felt very bad about that and he did apologise. I think everybody felt pretty bad because in retrospect, they realised how you know, shamefully in a way they treated her. Very good, Mother. OK, I look forward to the podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. In the last episode, Alison hit a roadblock in her search. All she's managed to confirm is that Mark Cassidy doesn't exist. She's no clearer on who he actually is. But she does have one last hope. She knows his passport said Mark Cassidy because she photocopied it before they went on holiday. You might recall he took those photocopies with him when he left. And she doesn't have a birth certificate for him. But the passport must have been real. They went abroad so many times. She's become pretty resourceful and she makes contact with a well-placed source at the passport office who can check Mark out. I can't really say very much about that. Yeah, it's dodgy because you can't really get someone to do a passport search for you. So I'm very, I'm always very nervous about the person who's actually done it because I don't, I genuinely don't know who they are. But this mystery person, they give her a final clue. I was told that he, Mark Cassidy did have a machine read passport, but his file was stored under a certain code and I became very focused on what that code might mean. It was a couple of letters. And it's when Alison meets renowned left-wing activist Helen Steele that she understands what these letters mean. Because the funny thing is, Helen's had the same suspicion that her ex-boyfriend was a spy for years, and she's been digging around. She afterwards sent me a photocopy of a page from a book about Scotland Yard, um, about Special Branch, in which there's a paragraph where there's a squad with the same code as that that his passport was filed under that spied on left-wing and anarchist groups. So at that point, I thought, OK, that's good enough for me. That's just sent goosebumps across me. Is that the moment when you knew for certain and how did you react to that? I knew for certain coming out of the pub with that activist. At that point, I believed it. So I knew then and nothing anybody said to me would convince me otherwise, much to their frustration and irritation. And I lost, you know, one of my... I, I kind of lost a friend, really, through it. Because she was saying, look, you don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. And what if he comes back one day? You're going to look really stupid. And I'm like, I'll live with that. That's fine. You know, it's like the world around you is not the world that you thought it was. It's a Truman Show-style set of props. 
And there were times when I phoned, you know, I remember I phoned my mum at one point from a phone box and I kept getting put through to a strange answer phone. And there were lots of different things with my phone and with the internet. Yeah, there were lots of things that I interpreted as the state watching me very closely. In the period after he left, even when I suspected that he was an undercover police officer, I still allowed myself the idea that he cared for me and loved me. It's not a normal story. And there are findings yet to come that will chip away at her belief in that love. For one, she'll learn he is in fact called Mark Jenner. And that credit card she found? It was in his real name after all. We'll hear the other discoveries later, but that man she knew as Mark Cassidy, her boyfriend from Birkenhead, who featured so much in her home movies, was he really just acting all along? I'm probably, can I, can I just say while we're on it, that um, this is going to be recorded for posterior on the cassette, right? And probably in 10 years' time, you know, if she's fucked me off, she'll probably say, I used to know that boring bastard, and there he is saying that he isn't. Well, I don't think I am. Most of the time, I can be, I can be as boring as anybody. Meanwhile, Rose is about to find out the same thing, and more. She spent the day outside the mysterious building in Camberwell, the one covered in security cameras. But no-one's gone in or out. It was a Saturday, after all. But on Monday, she desperately wants to go back to that doorway to take a closer look. Just knocking on the door and putting my hands up and saying, OK, I'm here, you've got me. She's run out of money and she's meant to be starting a new job at a bookshop in Kingston as a Christmas shelf stacker. So instead, she goes to work and she's downstairs in the literature section when something unbelievable happens. It's been over a year since Jim left and Rose has been to South Africa and back. She's spoken to private detectives and learnt to read IP addresses. And then, into the bookshop, walks a man. In walks someone who looked like my partner. He doesn't just look like her partner. He is her partner. The love of her life. It's Jim Sutton. And I put my hand over my mouth and my other hand up and pointed at him. And he did exactly the same thing. Rosa just stands there. She's frozen to the spot. He approached and he asked if he could hug me, and I said yes. And he said, you're shaking. I was like, well, yeah, and he said, you're really thin. And I thought, oh, yeah. He smelt like him. He smelt the same. They go in between two long bookshelves, and Rosa asks, what the hell's going on? I needed answers. And Jim's response, well, it's infuriating, to say the least. He said, you can't be angry. If you're angry, I'm walking. And by this point, you know, he he was between me and the wall. But, yeah, I still had to play it very gently. And I was like, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I put my hands up either side of me like, I'm not angry. Even after all that time of desperately searching for answers, Rosa, she does something incredibly level-headed. I saw my manager and I thought, I'm going to get sacked. I couldn't afford to fuck up with my work. It was three o'clock and I'm like, I'm sorry, but... Can you go away and come back at five? Five o'clock comes, and Rosa's waiting outside the shop. 
But Jim isn't there. And I remember thinking, what have I done? What have I done? And at ten past five, he, he came down very, very covertly with a woolly hat pulled down quite low, hands in his pockets and, and stooped over slightly. And he said, look, you know, follow me. And he walked quite quickly. We went down a side alleyway between two buildings. Jim leads her to the banks of the River Thames, in between Kingston and East Molesey. It's bonfire night, and fireworks are starting to go off across the city. They sit on two metal chairs outside a cafe. And then, at long last, Rosa gets the truth. The first bombshell we're going to hear directly from one of the boyfriends. The news Lisa and Alison have uncovered. He said that, look, you know, I was a police officer. He told me that his dad was a police officer and that he disliked so much. But that he and that building she was outside? Well, she wasn't far off. That's the headquarters of the secretive unit Jim and Mark Cassidy work for, the Special Demonstration Squad, or SDS. And his real name isn't Jim Sutton at all. He's actually called Jim Boiling. But if you thought now would be the moment to finally tell the full story, you're in for a surprise. Like the other men in our tale, Jim doesn't tell Rosa everything. He spins a lie out of the threads of reality. He told me that they'd never let him leave, that he was trapped, that he... Years ago, he was married and he needed money to fund his wife's PhD, so he joined the police. He hated it, but he was good at it. And then one day, they asked if he wanted to go undercover. He got offered to be someone else, and he leapt at it. He tells her he was sent into her group, Reclaim the Streets, to investigate an attempted murder, which it turned out never happened. But most importantly, he found her, the love of his life. And he found their friends in Reclaim the Streets too, whose cause he deeply believes in. From day one, he found who he really was. He found his best friends ever in his life and his best friend of all myself. And he didn't know what to do because he had no way of leaving and coming back through the correct door. And that he felt ashamed uh, that he couldn't work out a better answer other than just trying to protect people. But he was sent in for non-political reasons. There was a thought to be an attempted murder, which there wasn't. It was a misunderstanding that was before my time. Let's just make sure we're getting all this. Jim's an undercover police officer, but he wasn't spying on her and her friends. If anything, he was getting too close to them. He fell in love with her, and that's why the police made him leave. And then he was ripped from it because they won't have people cross sides. Punished for befriending the activists. There are two lies, Jim tells Rosa, that are crucial. One that's going to change her life forever that he wants to leave the police for good and he needs her help. And the second, that he's the only spy and she doesn't need to tell their friends because reclaim the streets, it's safe. But Jim isn't the only spy and the network's much bigger than anyone could have imagined. Our stories meet after this short break. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, my name is Claire Cohen and I'm the Telegraph's women's editor. My days are mostly spent shining a light on the issues that truly impact women today, from workplace discrimination to childcare, domestic abuse, and whether you should eat before or after sex. Our stories analyse, inform and entertain. And it means I can give other women a voice. Women who may have felt silenced in the past, like those you're hearing from on Bed of Lies. But journalism like this, and podcasts like the one you're listening to, take time. Cara's been working on this show for almost a year, and that's where our subscribers come in. Without their contribution, we couldn't do justice to stories like this one. So if you'd like to support what we're doing, and to get unlimited access to our huge range of journalism, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash lies podcast, where you can get 30 days free access to Telegraph online. And after that, it's just £2 a week. That's telegraph.co.uk forward slash lies podcast or click on the link in the show notes to this episode. It's August 2010. I want to take you back to the time just before Lisa finds that marriage certificate, the one for Mark Kennedy that says profession police officer. Before she sees that document, something important happens. Now, rumours are always circling in these social justice groups. They aren't huge and many of them overlap. And in them, they speculate about leaks and informers. But one rumour's particularly stubborn and it's spreading on the scene. It's only when Lisa's at Shambhala Festival in Northamptonshire that she overhears that somebody that they'd thought was a good friend of theirs back in the 90s who'd been involved in Reclaim the Streets actually had turned out to be an undercover policeman. This is the first moment in our tale where the women's paths cross because the man she's heard that rumour about. This was the police officer, Jim Boiling, who had been an undercover activist known as Jim Sutton. Yep, you heard that right. It's Rose's Jim. And that was the first time that I think I'd ever really properly been aware of somebody living a real double life like that. But for Lisa, this rumour becomes a crucial piece of information when she finds the marriage certificate. It raises serious alarm bells. She needs to find out if her own boyfriend is leading a double life and spying on her and her friends. And she manages to track down a phone number for an address in Ireland that's linked to these Kennedys. She summons up the courage and rings it. And he danced. With just one phone call, Lisa's connected the dots. 
He is Mark Kennedy, the police officer with two kids. She's in shock and desperate for answers. I had my passport in hand. I had an overnight bag packed. I wanted to knock on the door. I wanted to see his face. I wanted him to explain himself to me. He sounded very defensive and quite scared. I remember his voice not sounding like the person I recognised, saying, tell me what you know. I need to know what you know. Tell me what you think you know. But her friends stop her from flying to Ireland. They say it could be dangerous. So instead, they demand he comes back to Nottingham right away, or else she'll tell everyone. He agrees to get on a plane. After all, in the murky world of undercover policing, secrecy is the main currency, and being exposed would be disastrous. So he's on his way. His flight gets in in the early hours of the morning, and the wait's excruciating for Lisa. She's wide awake, even though she hasn't slept for days, and she wakes up all night. I was really only just holding it together at this point. There are six of them who will confront Mark, and they're in the living room of a large communal house in Nottingham that's normally buzzing with activists. But they tell the other residents they have something serious to do and ask them to stay out the way. They light a fire and put the sofas together with some other chairs to make a big circle. Then, around four or five in the morning, there's a knock on the door. It's Mark and his guard's up. I remember being in a T-shirt because the room was quite warm, but he sat there in his black waterproof Gore-Tex jacket, all zipped up. So he looked uncomfortable and hot and sweaty in his coat. So they're all sitting down and they ask Mark, what's going on? We gave him a chance to tell us himself. And he didn't take that chance straight away. He spent a good hour trying to elaborate on the original story that he told me, dancing around the truth while we were just waiting. He brings up his dodgy past of drug running, but no one's buying it this time. He looks all hot and bothered, and then eventually someone says, so, when did you join the police force, Mark? And at that point, he, he crumbled and he knew that it, was, that it was over. Now, this is huge. It's the second major bombshell in this story, after Jim's admission that he works for the SDS, the Special Demonstration Squad. Mark's about to reveal a whole section of the British police that's been completely secret until this moment, known only to those with the right security clearance. And he told us that he worked for the NPOIU, which was the National Public Order Intelligence Unit, which I'd never heard of before. Lisa knows about Special Branch, and she's even heard of the SDS. Well, this is completely new. I remember being really struck by the way he said that awkward acronym in a really smooth way, like it tripped off his tongue with a certain rhythm that sounded so familiar. I remember that leaving me really cold. Like Jim, Mark doesn't really want to look like a bad guy, so he says 
I was on your side all the time, really. I passed across the minimum information that I could get away with. I was working for you guys, yeah, really. I yeah. passed the fake information. You know, I just got myself into this position that I couldn't get out of. I knew you were dangerous. I was on your side all the time. So after a while, um, the others gave us some space to speak to each other alone and that's when I cried and he cried also. He said to me that all the best things that he'd ever done in his life were the things that he'd done with me and at that time I, you know, it suddenly felt like I was back with my boyfriend and we were splitting up. In lots of ways I felt that intense heartbreak that comes in those cliched stories but at the other hand you know, there's also the anger that that he knew all along what this situation was. It wasn't like he got into it not knowing. And I didn't know. I didn't have that information. He'd had all the power. And so, you know, I had to keep reminding myself that he did this to me. How did you start to piece yourself back together in the days and weeks that followed that night? Yeah, I don't go back to the memory of that night very often anymore. And I think that's why, you know, when I go back there, it's very much a reliving, which is which is why I don't do it very often. We can take a break if you want. <laughs> oh, no, I'm fine. Just a moment. Thank you. That's OK. I didn't, I couldn't, face the fact that that was the last I would ever see of him. Days now dawned and the fires dwindled. Mark's been explaining himself for hours. But eventually he admits that he knows it's over. And then, before she has a chance to consider forgiving him, her friends come back into the room and they say, OK, that's it. You have to go now. I saw him to the door. We hugged. He left. She can't quite believe that this is the last time she'll see him. It leaves her feeling hollow. I really believed that he was the love of my life and only a few short weeks ago that had all felt full of possibility. So then just to be watching him walk out the door felt like a part of me had been ripped out, you know, felt like he was taking a huge part of me with him. I felt like I'd been torn apart. I just feel like I fell into a black hole at that moment. I just couldn't understand it. I just couldn't take the information in, really. As word spreads among their friends, people like Jane are shocked, furious and disbelieving. I remember texting him, like, in anger, texting Mark and just being incredibly angry about what a terrible person he was and what kind of level of betrayal it was and I remember um, saying like how could you do that to Lisa it's disgusting He's a skilled actor Mark's the last person they'd ever have suspected of being a cop Mark? How could... But Mark hates the police more than any of us kind of thing. It just didn't make any any sense I trusted him with my life and I loved him as a friend. 
For seven years, PC Mark Kennedy walked, talked, and acted like an environmental protester, using his alias as climber Mark Stone to scale various protest sites. When news breaks about Mark Kennedy, it becomes a huge story. It's picked up by the BBC, Channel 4, and all the papers. There's one revelation after another. But the thing that shocks people most is that Kennedy had a long-term girlfriend while undercover. The Sunday Sport offers £1,000 for information about any police officers who have slept with an activist. I really didn't want any part of the media at that point. Tabloids called Lisa the Welsh redhead. It's terrible, but she can't stop reading. It's like a horror film where you're sort of, you know, it's going to be really gory. You know, you're sort of hiding behind your hand, but you're still looking through your fingers. You can't quite tear yourself away. As part of the media storm, the case against the Ratcliffe on Saw protesters collapses when it comes out Kennedy, the police officer, was one of the key organisers. You know, there were revelations coming out each day. There were other undercover police officers being confirmed. Other women's stories started coming out. A post was put out. The news travels fast through activist circles on a site called Indie Media, and it reaches Alison. And I was very shocked and thought, oh, my God... And I followed the story and I read all of the comments and I read everything about, you know, and I, it became apparent that there was a woman involved. This is the moment Alison finally realises her story's part of something much bigger. The infiltration of left-wing groups by secretive units of the British police. Now, the undercover policeman who infiltrated a group of environmental activists says he has been made a scapegoat for the collapse of a trial against six campaigners accused of conspiring... But back to Mark the Climber. It's three months since he told Lisa the truth and he's about to deliver yet another blow. He told the Mail on Sunday that there had been a lot of mistakes made in the case. He did admit to having relationships with two female activists and said it was wrong. The allegations that are coming out about me, uh, about being rogue... Um, are, are untrue. Um, I feel I'm being made a scapegoat for mistakes made by... So I was just in this kind of... in this hotel room, in this B&B, in the, on the seafront in Brighton, watching this interview, um, and it felt very, very surreal. I admit I had two relationships during my time as an undercover officer. Um, I admit that that was a wrong thing to do, but the circumstances that I was involved in... Um, so it definitely wasn't the person that I'd been in a relationship with either. You know, it definitely wasn't Mark Stone. He'd had a short haircut, clean-shaven, you know, was wearing sort of clean, sensible-looking clothes. It just didn't look like him. Everything that I did had to be authorised at the highest level. Everybody knew exactly where I was and what I was doing. How these men react to being unmasked will dominate the next 10 years of the women's lives. They'll close ranks, move on, and the women will be left to pick up the pieces. But even after everything that's happened, there's still a part of Lisa that wonders if the story could have worked out differently. If I'd been on my own confronting him and he'd said, you know, let's just, let's just go away together, let's just disappear off into the sunset and have our love story ending. 
you know, I don't know what I would have done to that. That's exactly the position that Rosa finds herself in nine years earlier. She's by the River Thames with Jim, her now ex-boyfriend, and he says he needs her help leaving the police. He said he wished he had the strength to do it alone, but he didn't. He's scared his superiors will find out who he really is, that they'll realise he's actually on the side of the activists and he feels so alone... I wasn't impressed by him, but I felt a duty to help someone in need who was being hurt by the police, and I was very angry at the police. The past 18 months of her life have been dominated by Jim's disappearance, and now she's face-to-face with him, and he's reaching out for help. She doesn't fully trust him, but part of her still loves him, and so she agrees to go on the run with him, to move abroad. We were supposed to be fleeing the country, you know, and giving up everything to try and find him, and now he needed help to escape. You don't go, oh, well, maybe we should just see each other on weekends for a while. It was quite an extreme circumstance. It had every, th- every scrap of reality ripped from me, and here was the nearest thing to a way out of that into a world that I knew that was real, that had I, I knew something about someone who really, really, really looked like my partner and was telling me they needed help to escape. And it's a decision that will affect the course of her life forever. But she doesn't have time to plan their escape, because very quickly... Within two weeks of finding him, I was pregnant. Next time on Bed of Lies. I just find it hard to imagine how those cops could really do that, because you know what you're doing. You know, when you're manipulating someone like that, you know what you're doing. Bed of Lies is written by me, Cara McGugan, and produced by Sarah Peters at Tuning Fork Productions. The executive producer is Theodora Leloudis and sound designs by Peregrine Andrews. To stay on top of who's who in our story, to see exclusive pictures of the men involved, and to look inside my reporter's notebook go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash bed of lies. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.